Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday evening primetime podcast here at Calvary Baptist in Gaylord, Michigan. It's September 5th in the year 2021. It's Labor Day weekend, and we are beginning our fall series, which will be a study of the book of Daniel. It's going to take us, oh, well into the fall, because this is a a fascinating book. Parts of it are really pretty transparent, and other parts are mysterious. And so we're going to talk about what it means and some of the different understandings of it, and certainly the application to our lives today. But it is also a book of recorded history as well, and it gives us some insight into the past, including prophecies that all point to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah who is Jesus Christ our Lord. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray for us since we're beginning a whole new series, and I ask that you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the coming of fall, for the days of the beautiful colors and the cool temperatures. We thank you, Lord, for being with us in all the seasons of our lives, just as you were with Daniel all those years ago. Lord, we just ask that you would draw us close to you and Give us a good focus and attention to put our eyes into your word and our hearts into your thoughts, and that this would be honoring and pleasing to your sight. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Now, the book of Daniel, as I said, is one of those that is um, can seem very mysterious, and so I sent along with this email a, a file attachment, and I even had um, handouts at church, available to us as well. They were the bulletin inserts. And the idea was that we want you to do some reading ahead of time. And I thought it would be helpful if you looked at that chart that just simply says Book of Daniel Overview. And it it shows that there are two broad sections, the first six chapters and then the chapters 7 through 12. In the first six chapter, it's kind of about the biography of what happened here, Daniel interpreting the dreams of others. And then in the second section, chapter 7 to 12, it's more about the prophecies, an angel interpreting Daniel's dreams. Daniel was in uh, service to monarchs of different eras, under the Babylonian rule, under the Persian rule, or sometimes it's called the Medo-Persian rule. Then when Greece came in under Alexander the Great, and then Roman rule. So there's these different eras. The key theme of the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty over kingdoms of this earth and his unfolding plan for the future. So that's something that that chart was helpful to you. I encourage you to keep that either on your computer or if you have a printer, perhaps print the thing out or use the printout that you received at church and use that to kind of help guide you through this process. Think of it as a partial road map. Among the main themes in the book of Daniel is that God is in control. He is all-knowing and he's in charge of world events. He overrules and removes rebellious leaders who defy him. God will overcome evil. Nobody is exempt. He will deliver the faithful who follow him. That's a key, a key theme through Daniel. Frankly, it should be a key theme in our lives. The next main theme in Daniel is our purpose in this life. It talks about how Daniel and his three friends are examples of dedication and commitment. They're determined to serve God regardless of the consequences. 
They didn't give in to pressures from an ungodly society because they had a clear purpose in life. Now, yes, there is a place for discernment on this. My criticism of people who would say that my views are not enough like Daniel is that I would say, you're looking to make yourself into a Daniel, whereas God hasn't put you in that spot yet. They have such an issue with government overreach, which I agree our government overreaches, but at the same time they will improperly apply passages like this, saying that it's about obedience to God, whereas in reality I just see that they've got a big ego and they're trying to draw attention to how holy they think they are. You've heard me talk about that before, so I'm not going to get too hung up on that. We have to be always using good discernment about who is this really about. And remember Romans 13 does tell us that we need to submit to the governing authorities unless they are requiring us to violate a clear command of God. And sometimes what they claim are clear commands are not so clear. Another key theme in the book of Daniel is perseverance. Daniel served for 70 years, yeah, 70, seven zero, in a foreign land that was hostile to God, and yet he didn't compromise his faith. He was truthful, he was persistent in prayer, and he wasn't interested in power for his own glory. And of course, a, a final theme is God's faithfulness. Throughout the book of Daniel, God is faithful in his life. He delivers him from execution. He delivers him from the, the den of lions. He delivers him from enemies who hated him. God cares for his people. and He deals patiently with us. We need to trust him. We need to trust him. So those are some of the primary themes in the book of Daniel. Now, as far as the author, not only does the book itself identify Daniel as its author, that's in chapter 9, verse 2, and in chapter 10, verse 2, but Jesus mentions Daniel as being the author as well. That's in Matthew 24, verse 15. The date of this writing is somewhere between the year 540 and 530 B.C., meaning before, before Christ. And the reason it was written is because of the events that started, oh, about 60 to 70 years before this book was written. It was the year 605 B.C. This is documented history as well as documented here in the Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquers Judah. Now you might say, well, what's Judah? Well, Judah was the southern portion of Israel. It was a divided kingdom, and that southern portion, which is the part that so much of um, the Old Testament speaks to when we get into the books of prophecy, this was the area that... Um, was occupied by Babylon, and then the later occupiers as well. And many of the inhabitants were deported north and east to Babylon, with, among them, Daniel. And so he serves in the court of Nebuchadnezzar and the rulers that followed him, and we'll talk about those. So the book of Daniel records the actions, the prophecies, and the visions of the prophet Daniel. To give us a brief summary, very brief summary, since we're doing sort of a flyover here, an overview, chapter 1 describes the conquest of Jerusalem by these Babylonians. And along with many others, Daniel and his three friends are deported to Babylon, and because of their courage and because of God's blessing on them, they're promoted 
during the king's service. Now in chapters 2 through chapter 4, it records that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that only Daniel could correctly interpret. His dream was of a great statue that represented kingdoms that would arise in the future. And Nebuchadnezzar makes a great statue of himself, and he wants to force everybody to worship it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse, and they're miraculously spared along with Daniel, despite being thrown in a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is judged by God for his pridefulness, but later he's restored, and he admits and recognizes God's sovereignty over all things. It's an amazing narrative in chapters 2, 3, and 4. Now come Daniel chapter 5, it records Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, and he misuses items that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem, and he receives a message from God written on the wall in response, but only Daniel could interpret the writing. It was a message of coming judgment from God. And so Daniel's thrown into the lion's den for refusing to pray to the emperor, but Daniel is miraculously spared. So we'll talk about Daniel in the lion's den come chapter 5. Then in chapter 7, God gives Daniel a vision of four beasts. Four beasts, and they represent the kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, or Medo-Persia, sometimes it's called, then Greece, and Rome. So we'll talk about that vision. Then in chapters 8 through 12, it contains visions involving a ram and a goat and several horns, which also refer to future kingdoms and their rulers. And specifically in chapter 9, it talks about Daniel's 70 weeks, the 70 weeks prophecy. God gives Daniel a timeline of when the Messiah would come and then would be cut off. And the prophecy then mentions a future ruler. And this is where we believe this deals with the eventual coming of the Antichrist. Ruler who will confirm a seven-year covenant with Israel, but break it after three and a half years. Followed shortly thereafter by great judgment. Daniel is visited and strengthened by an angel after this vision, and the angel explains the vision to Daniel in, in really great detail. That's kind of a very brief flyover. Now, the book of Daniel also has a number of foreshadowings. Foreshadowings and that it looks ahead and speaks of things to come. We see in the stories of the fiery furnace, as well as Daniel in the lion's den, a foreshadowing of the salvation provided to us by Christ. These men declare that God is a saving God and he can provide a way of escape from the fire. That's Daniel 3.17. And in the same way, by sending Jesus to die for our sins, God has provided an escape for us from the eternal fires of hell. That's 1 Peter 3.18. In Daniel's case, God provides an angel to shut the lion's mouth and saves Daniel from what would have been certain death. Jesus is our provision from the dangers of sin that would threaten to consume us. And lastly, Daniel's vision of the end times depicts Israel's Messiah, our Savior, by whom many will be made pure and holy. He is our righteousness. And through him, our sins and through his blood are cleansed. We're made white as snow. That reference is actually from Isaiah 118. Now, there are some practical applications. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of us should always stand for what we know is right. 
God is greater than any punishment that could come upon us. Whether God chooses to deliver us or not, he's worthy of our trust. He knows what's best, and he honors those who trust and obey him. God has a plan, and his plan is made down to intricate detail. He knows and is in control of everything. Nothing surprises him. Something I should add here is that sometimes people feel a certain amount of tension between the idea that God knows all things to come, and yet we have a tendency to want to think that we have a greater level of control than we really do. You've heard me say many times, we're not programmed robots. Yet at the same time, I think we do deceive ourselves when we come to the conclusion that we chose God, because if we just chose him all by ourselves, if that were the case, then we can unchoose him, and then that's not consistent with our doctrine that's a belief in eternal security, that once we are saved, truly saved, that we're always saved, we don't lose that salvation. So yes, there is a certain amount of tension between that and some of the teachings here in Daniel. That doesn't mean that we should all become full-fledged, card-carrying, five-point Calvinists. You've heard me say that many times. At the same time, as Baptists, we probably lean a little more in that direction than, say, our Methodist friends would. And that's a separate discussion for another time, but I have had some of those things through these podcasts in the future. Ultimately, it's about God's sovereignty and his power and his control over all things. And in so many places in Scripture, certainly including the book of Daniel, that's something that we see. So let's take a look now at the very beginning of the book of Daniel. And what I encourage you to do is, if you have not already, I encourage you to just hit pause on this playback, take your Bible, and go and read the first chapter. Go and read the first chapter of Daniel. If you've already done that, fine, great. But if you've not, hit pause, do that right now, and then resume after you've finished reading that. All right, continuing now. Having read that and seen just a little bit of an overview, an earthquake has shaken the foundation of our security, or a tornado blows away a lifetime of treasures. An assassin's bullet makes national history and changes it. I'm talking about 1963, as well as other points. 1865, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Or something like a drunk driver claims an innocent victim. Terrorism frightens a nation on 9-11. International and personal tragedies make our world a fearful place. Seems like evil is out of control. After all these things, some people wonder whether God is absent or just not able. And we say, Lord, where are you? But 2,500 or so years ago, Daniel, he could have despaired. He and thousands of his fellow Israelites who had been deported to a foreign land after Judah was conquered, and they found themselves facing an egocentric ruler, a true despot, surrounded by idolatry. But instead of giving in or giving up, this courageous young man held fast to his faith. He held fast to his faith. And in doing so, God blessed him profoundly. He blessed him profoundly. 
Now, after a brief account at the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's siege and defeat of Jerusalem, the scene fairly quickly shifts to Daniel and his three friends, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men held prominent positions within the Babylonian government. So they worked for the king. Uh, they were staff positions. And Daniel, in particular, held such a position because of his ability, his unique ability to interpret the king's dreams. The dreams that told of God's unfolding plan. That's in chapters 2 and 4. And sandwiched in between those in chapter 3 is the fascinating account of Daniel's three friends and the fiery furnace. Because they refused to bow to the image of gold, they're condemned to a fiery death. But God intervened and spared their lives. Can you see the picture, the, the foreshadowing, the pre-echo, you might say, of the coming of Christ and how he intervenes and saves us from a fiery eternity? It's a powerful image of things to come now, isn't it? Now, Belshazzar then is the next ruler, and he rules Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar. And chapter 5 talks about his encounter with God's message written on a wall and Daniel is summoned to interpret the message, and he predicts Babylon's fall to the Medes and the Persians. The prediction came true that very night, and Darius was the conqueror, the next ruler. And Daniel becomes one of his most trusted advisors. His privileged position angered other administrators who plotted Daniel's death by con convincing the king to outlaw prayer. But in spite of that law, Daniel continues to pray to the sovereign God, the God of all creation. As a result, he's condemned to die in a den of hungry lions, but God intervenes and saves him. Can you see all of these things as being these foretelling of things to come? Very powerful. Very powerful indeed. So if we now take a look at the scripture itself, and we're going to do a portion of chapter 1, okay? We're going to do a portion of it, and then we'll pick it up the following week. We've got all fall to get through the book of Daniel, and I don't know that it'll take us that long, but 12 chapters, I'd say 12 weeks is not unreasonable to get through 12 chapters, and it might even take us almost right up to Christmas time. So, here, Daniel, chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, hard to get that one to roll off your tongue, isn't it? Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, lowercase g. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's place and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. 
Now among all these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince gave the eunuchs, the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for unto him, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and unto Mishael, Meshach, and unto Azariah Abednego. So there's a name change there, adopted into a new culture, and that's where that name change happened. And then verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor eat the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had sent over to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel says to him, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the king's meat. Thus, Melzar took away their portion of their meat and the wine they should drink and gave them pulse. Um, some of that is, is difficult reading. This is a situation in which um, other paraphrases can be helpful. Okay. Here's a paraphrasing of the passage we just read from verse 8. Basically, it's saying Daniel's determined to not defile himself by eating the food and the wine that are given to him by the king. So he asked the chief of staff, kind of says the prince of the eunuchs, the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given that man, the chief of staff, a respect for Daniel, probably even a certain amount of admiration. So he responds, he says, I'm afraid that my boss, the king who ordered you to eat this, um, I'm afraid of him. If you become pale and thin because you refuse to eat, I'm afraid the king's going to have me beheaded. That's basically what he's saying. But in verse 11, Daniel speaks with the person who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel and his friends. And Daniel says to him, look, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. That's really what it's saying. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to these other guys that are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. So the attendant agrees to Daniel's suggestion, and he tests them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who'd been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food that were provided for the others. Now, <laughs> let's just take a second here and say, does this mean that God is saying that the only biblical diet is to be a vegetarian? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying that. 
What I am saying is that here's an example of a reality that Daniel trusted God more than what was convenient. But Daniel did not go into there and look for opportunities to basically be a pain in the rear. Application to today, when we're wondering where the line is between going along with what most people do as opposed to being true to what the Bible says, don't invent lines and don't look for places in which you think you're being obedient to God, but really all you're doing is drawing attention to yourself. And I've known people and seen people try to do this. Some of those folks have been very critical of me. They've said that I'm too much of a compromiser, particularly on the COVID issue. That all being said, you know, I think that very often we read too much into events of today. The persecutions that we have faced to this point in this country are inconveniences. They're nothing like the persecutions that Christians face in other parts of the world. And we heard stories of things like that a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night when Stephen Benefield was here from Cambodia. And we hear stories like that from missionaries in so many places in the world. We don't know what persecution really is, but Daniel and his friends did. And notice what Daniel said. Instead of just basically saying, I refuse, he gave an alternate suggestion. And God blessed and provided that alternate suggestion. Because Daniel was respected by these guys that really were on the king's staff. And through Daniel's witness, God's light shined and God was honored. And yet he didn't draw attention to himself, did he? He didn't make it about him. Yes, I could be pushing into this a little bit, I will admit that. But we have to remember that when we're trying to do things like, we, you know, there's an old children's song that talks about dare to be a Daniel. Well, on certain things, yes, but at the same time, don't be a jerk about it. And I think that's a key point. How do we discern the difference? Well, pray, seek the scriptures, seek wise counsel from fellow believers who are mature believers, and then trust God. Trust God. I think that's all the time that we're really going to have for tonight because I do want to keep this to about a 30-minute podcast. But as you can see, there's so much that we're going to be able to do in the future with this. In the weeks ahead, I think it's going to be a very interesting series of podcasts. And so we left off there at the end of verse 16, and we'll pick up next week with verse 17 at the very end of chapter 1, where it talks about God gives them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a, diff it's a very difficult study we're undertaking but it's a very interesting one. I'll do the best that I can to make it approachable and understandable. And if this podcast is something that you find really helpful, let me know. That's encouraging to me. And if you think it's especially helpful, use that method in which you take it and share the link and send that to a, a friend who you think it would be encouraging to as well. I do thank you for listening tonight. I look forward to producing the rest of this series and the few months ahead. 
I think it's going to be very interesting, and I, I hope you'll enjoy it too. Thank you for listening. God bless you, and have a great start to your week.